everybody! Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in chronological order. We are in the middle of John Byrne's The Hidden Years. Uh, today's episode will pick up right up from last time, where we got to talk all about Storm for the first time on my show. I'll do a little bit of a recap a little bit later, but today we're going to be hitting issues numbers 8 and 9. It's a crazy Fantastic Four X-Men team-up with a lot of dense continuity and uh, some pickups from the 60s series, including the aliens and Ox in one of their few appearances ever. So we'll talk about that in a little while. I am so excited to welcome my friends Justin Kosmachuk and Arturo Rojas back today, and I am thrilled to meet the wonderful writer Erica Schultz. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, let us know your gender pronouns and where we might know you from. And then I've got a question ready for each of you. We're going to play around a fuck, Mary kill to start the game. So after each of your introductions, uh, I will I will give you your specific challenge. Uh, let's begin with Erica. Hi. Hi. I don't know what, what a wonderful writer I am, but thank you for having me. Um, my pronouns are she, her, they, whatever. You know, it, it's fine. Um <laughs> Uh, and where you would know me from, um, I'm primarily a writer, but I have also done some editing with Mad Cave Studios. Um, and uh, I'm currently writing Hallow's Eve and X-23 for Marvel. And it was announced that I'm going to be writing um, the ASM Annual and a Moon Knight What If. Just today, like as we're recording this on May, whatever, 17th or whatever this is, uh, we just got those announcements today. So we're a few weeks ahead of when the uh, show will come out. So hopefully we'll see yes. even more announcements before the next one. Uh, Erica has done a lot of really great Marvel work and a lot of comics work. We'll be focusing more on your current Marvel stuff today. But I, uh, I'm thrilled to see your name attached to these powerhouse characters. I especially, especially love the way you write uh, women and the pacing you use. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, I don't know what your uh, gender preferences are regarding sexuality, but I'm just going to toss this at you anyway. So uh, fuck, Mary kill. We're all, we're taking characters from uh, today's issue. Uh, so for Erica, we have uh, Crystal, the Invisible Woman, and Lorna Dane. Kill Crystal because she's just annoying. I don't know. I'm so... <laughs> And maybe it's because of the Inhumans TV show, which I stupidly watched. Um, but yeah, Kill Crystal. Um, see, it's it's a tough call between Lorna and Sue because are we talking like I'd probably marry Sue and fuck Lorna because Lorna has like the crazy girl vibe. But and you know it's like ooh, Daddy's a bad guy. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, like if you're going back to Sue from like back in the day, she's just like so like everything revolves around like, oh, Reed must love me. So I can't compete with Reed. <laughs> Absolutely so, fair. At the same time, I would say probably marry Sue and fuck Lorna and then kill Crystal. And and uh, when Erica said, ooh, daddy's daddy's a bad guy, she was not talking about you, Arturo. Uh, <laughs> let's go over to Arturo Rojas next. Hi, Arturo. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Um, I, let me start off by saying Erica was 100% correct with those answers. Those were the right answers. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and where do you know me from? Or, or my pronouns, he, him. And you know me from Twitter, probably Mr. Toybox. Um, uh, some action figure toy photography and over on X's for show where I occasionally do podcasts. 
Uh, and Arturo, uh, fuck, Mary kill based on this issue. Beast in Toad's costume. Jean in Scarlet Witch's costume. Or Cyclops in Quicksilver's costume. You guys will all understand this when we get to the issue <laughs> review. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, definitely. This is pre-war crimes beast. This is like hot, sexy foot beast. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to fuck beast. Um, God, I guess I'm going to marry Cyclops and kill Gene. I don't know. That doesn't sound like a good plan. <laughs> Gene will be back eventually. Gene will be back. Yeah, that's my answer because that's that's you know no loss. We get to talk about the Phoenix Force for the first time on my show today too because that makes an appearance. We'll get there in a while as well. When Gene is is stripped of her inhibitions and her clothes, it describes her as raw and naked. We'll get there in a little while. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, over to my friend Justin Kosbachuk. Hi, Justin. Hello. Um, Thank you for having me again. So I'm Justin Kosmichuk. I go by Jay Cosmic online. My pronouns are he, him. Um, and I can be found mostly on Instagram. I do a lot of cosplaying and toy collecting. So hearing about Mr. Toybox, that sounds very relevant to my interests. And um, I do have you on Twitter, but finally got you on Instagram recently. And I do like what I see. So <laughs> oh, thank you. Shameless plug. Thank you, Justin. Shameless flirt. <laughs> that wasn't my intent. <laughs> uh, Justin, uh, fuck, Mary, kill, Havoc, Iceman, and the Human Torch. Ooh. Ah, all good choices. So Havoc, Human Torch, and Iceman? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, we know Iceman comes out way later, so I guess he'll be the Mary. Um, for the fuck? Um, Everybody's so serious. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I've dressed Curious as questions. Havoc. Here's the thing. If I dress as Havoc and say fuck, then I can go fuck myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, Do you uh, have a Havoc cosplay? Yes, um, I dressed as him from his Hellfire Gala look in 2021. Oh, that was you. you. I know, now I know exactly who you are. <laughs> See, How my natural friends. hair going. <laughs> and then kill, I... Uh, kill the Human Torch? I guess by process of elimination, Human Torch? That's fair. They're all very pretty. It's okay. Honestly, can I just say fuck for all three? <laughs> <laughs> One giant orgy for Justin. <laughs> Why not? Doc Why not? Did. Hey, if, <laughs> if, if Hickman's writing it, you know. Going <laughs> to quote Katya, when do I get to blow them? <laughs> oh, we're going to have fun today. Uh, <laughs> lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I'm the host of this show. You guys know me. Uh, I'm a former Marvel Comics handbook writer, a, a memoirist, and a documentarian. Uh, I did not prepare this question for myself, but as a joke round, I'll do this one for myself. Uh, in their transformed forms, uh, Thing, Sauron, and the Xenox monster. But this seems too easy because I'll just kill the Xenox monster, marry the Thing, and fuck Sauron as Carl Lycos. So that was an easy one. All characters from our issues today, which has about 75 characters running. 
<laughs> in this book that we'll get to in a few minutes. You need a scorecard for this one, yeah. <laughs> I am so uh, happy and excited to have Erica Schultz on the show. Erica, I've been following your work. I first uh, became aware of you with your 2018 Daredevil annual. I do a lot of uh, uh, summaries and analyzing uh, comics, and I still provide a lot of information for the Marvel databases, for the handbook teams, etc. cetera. Uh, and you did a Misty Night team up with Daredevil that was just wonderful. And I always pay attention when I see a female writer on the books because uh, it's getting less. Uh, I mean, there, it's more common now to have female writers. But in 2018, it was still kind of like a new like, whoa, OK, look, they're bringing more girls in, which is a wonderful. We're thing. a novelty. Yeah. 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 And now now it's just what it should be, which is more representation in uh, yeah. writing across the board. I uh, I like to ask new guests, uh, what's your origin story? If you're willing to share with us a little bit about your journey from kind of fan into professional and and uh, and what you're doing. I, I got a late start. So I didn't start writing comics until I was about 31. And I um, I had always read comics. My older brother would, you know, bring comics home and I would sort of, you know, do the younger sister thing where I would break into his room and steal all his shit. Because, um, you know, that's what you do. And um, I... I was working in advertising. I was an art director and graphic designer at an ad agency and everybody got laid off in 2008. And I was one of those people. Um, and I ended up working for one of my clients at the end of 2008 and they were doing, uh, it was at continuity studios and they were doing the, um, astonishing X-Men motion comic gifted. So I said, I was like, you know, look, I'm out of work. I need some work. They said, well, we have this project that we're doing and it's going to be a couple of months and, you know, it's kind of an all hands on deck. So why don't you come in? You know, you're a Photoshop artist. You can do this stuff. So I came in and I started, you know, it, when you're doing a motion comic, basically this is one of the first motion comics that they did. So we're working with comics pages that are not formatted the way they are now, like in the sense that like all the panels are very static and you have to cut it apart. Whereas now, bless you, whereas now what you have to do is like a lot of people who are working digitally, they're going to show up in layers and you're going to have your work, your work is halfway done. Um, so what we were doing is we were doing a lot of like cutting up artwork and extending backgrounds and things like that. Um, and so I was doing that and then I don't know why, but somebody was like, oh, I think you should, you know, animate some of this. Oh, okay. I don't know how to animate, but I guess I'm going to learn now. Um, so I ended up for whatever reason was really, um, I really sort of excelled at the lip sync animation and I don't know why, but I ended up lip syncing the, in, like doing all the lip sync animation for the entire six issue run. Shantae, you stay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was weird. And the funny thing is that like, I just kept showing up to work, even though I was a freelancer, I literally just kept showing up to work for like eight years. <laughs> and that's just what happened. Um, so I started writing in about 2008, 2009. I had had some short stories that I had written and one of the characters was this character called M3 who was um, an assassin. And one of the other artists at uh, the studio, uh, Vicente Alcazar, um, he and I were just bullshitting and, um, you know, he said, you know, I'd like to, you know, get back into comics because he had left comics for a bit and was doing more of the fine art thing, you know, you know, very highfalutin, you know, gallery shit. And um, and so I gave him the script and he really liked it. And we just, you know, started working on that. So we did over a course of about three and a half years, we put out 12 issues on our own of M3. 
Um, and then that really sort of became my calling card. I mean, I was giving copies out to editors at conventions and, you know, meeting with other writers and other artists. And at this point, um, with a lot of contacts in the industry, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, working at the studio really helped because my second issue of M3, Bill Sienkiewicz did a cover for it. Um, and Bill has done multiple covers for, he did the cover for the trade paperback for Forgotten Home. He did the cover for the trade paperback for 12 Devils Dancing. Um, you know, and I, I met him through the studio and he has always been such a lovely, genuine, amazing human being. Um, and it's always been, what do you need? And I'm like, oh, would you want to do a cover? Done. You know, he's just fantastic. And I love Bill. Um, so yeah, I mean, I started meeting more editors and, uh, I got yanked on a project for, um, I mean, Chad, you might know this because you've worked directly with Marvel, but you know how they do sort of companion books with some of the ABC shows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I got pulled in to do, uh, Revenge. I don't know if you remember that show. Oh. So... <laughs> I wrote the I wrote the prequel OGN to the first season, and that was my first professional job. And it was so whacked because I was like working with the TV uh, producers, and then I was working with the editors at Marvel, and I was getting conflicting notes. And I'm like, I don't know who to believe. Um, <laughs> So, so that was my first, my first gig was actually working at Marvel. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was, you know, embarrassment of riches. And, um, and then just from there, I started getting more work. I was, I worked uh, on a bunch of stuff for Dynamite. I worked on like Lady Zorro and, um, and uh, Cato and Masquerade uh, because Gail Simone brought me into this like huge crossover that they did. Uh, then they had me write Charmed. I was writing Xena for them. Um, and then I was writing da the Daredevil. And all throughout, I was doing some indie stuff. So I had 12 Devils Dancing coming out. Um, I had uh, I had more M3 coming out. And just, you know, it just sort of started snowballing in a good way, I guess. Um, and when I'm not spiraling, freaking out, tearing my hair out, going, oh, my God, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, it's actually a, it's a pretty fun gig. There's so many pieces, and we don't have to emphasize any of what I'm about to mention, but just themes I'm pulling from what you say what you're saying is not only building the uh, the connections and learning how to advertise yourself, but learning about the industry itself, yeah. listening to all of the editorial feedback, learning how to adapt your work for those things, plus the research on whatever new character you've got. If it's from a show, you got to watch the whole show and take all the notes and see everything. Uh, we're going to talk about Hollow's Eve and X23 today, but those are, you know, new areas of research where you have to have the original idea, but be so adaptable and uh, amenable to everything that's going on. It's it's a pretty storied industry, and we we make some room for that on our show. We, we mostly have fun, but we do try to let people know what a significantly large industry it is and how many expectations there are. Uh, Arturo, clearly you are a fan of uh, Revenge. <laughs> oh my god i like you just gave my whole life there like that was such a great show at least in the first few seasons they kind of jumped the shark but yeah bring it when back. the father came back they totally jumped the shark yeah because yeah. like that was literally the entire purpose of the show yes. was the dad and then he comes comes back and i'm like wait what yeah but i hung in there well after that you're a completist. You have to make sure you see you see everything. Pretty much. Yeah. Does anyone know the origin of that phrase "jump the shark"? 
Uh, yes. It's from Happy Days. Yeah, yeah. When Fonzie jumps the shark over. Literally with... <laughs> jumps the shark. Yeah. What does jumping the shark mean for a comics industry? I would uh, say... It's like, go ahead. It's like when a TV show gets a little too gimmicky. Yeah. Right. They're trying to do something or they're trying to outdo themselves again. And it just, they've gone like to the point of ridiculous. Or so they're it... trying to emulate a competitor show or a competitor comic and they're doing it poorly like it doesn't come off as as homage it comes off as like almost like terrible parody can we think of any oh i'm sorry justin go ahead it doesn't really feel like they're telling a story anymore you know yeah can we think of any jump the shark moments in x-men history there's there's a few <laughs> I was gonna say um Magneto being Zorn all along and then murdering like all of New York or whatever. I think that was uh that was one. I'm thinking oh, wait, specifically oh, a lot ahead. of anything uh, involving the Phoenix, to be honest. <laughs> except for the OG Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, that series Baby Inicieza did, uh, X-Men Forever. The movies came out, and then he was given the editorial like insight to like make Mystique and Toad look like their movie versions. And they put a lot of energy to making you know Toad tall and handsome and Mystique like in that jeweled look, and then they just never looked like that again in the comics. Like There's a lot of those types of moments across history. Uh, I would... I was just going to ask Arturo real quick. I'm sorry. Um, are you talking, was that from Ultimatum or was that from, because I know Ultimatum, he basically, he reverses the, Magneto reverses the poles and everything like. Well, you know, wide. that's, uh, you know, that's that, that old chestnut. He loves to pull that trick out. But yeah, um, no, the, I was talking about the the end of, was that Morrison's? That was Morrison's. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Magneto destroys New York and Magneto destroys New York and Jean Grey dies and a bunch of crazy stuff happens. And then they're like, it was Zorn all along. But it was a hell of a reveal because you've got Zorn, this, you know, mysterious character that you've grown to love over like whatever, 30 issues, I guess, at that point. But also it was Zorn's brother. (laughs) I still don't understand it. I'm pretty good about X-Men like ins and outs, but Zorn, my brain just breaks. It was his evil twin. (laughs) Well, like Mike Murdoch, remember Matt Murdoch had a, had the uh, alternate reality, you know, his like alternate personality, who was Mike Murdoch, who was a cab driver. Yep. You know so what's it, messed up? You just said that, and I developed a crush on him. I'm like, <laughs> I know he's going to be hot. In the 19th, I'll, I'll recount this quickly. I love Daredevil stuff too. Uh, Matt Murdoch, trying to keep his secret identity more solidified, came up with an alter ego called Mike Murdoch where he pretended to be his own twin brother. And he he dressed in like flashy hippie clothes and was like, hey, babe, to Karen Page. But then he was always very straight-laced when he was Matt. But then he got in over his head, so he faked the death of his brother, Mike. But then you fast forward way farther in continuity. There's a guy named The Reader who's an inhuman who can read things into life. And he's reading a story and accidentally creates an actual Mike Murdoch. So Daredevil now has a twin that's <laughs> running around. But he was just killed during Chip Zdarsky's run. But it, comics are nuts, you guys. <laughs> it's not just the X-Men. I try uh, and explain to people what I do for a living. And they're just like, wait, what? My husband's <laughs> like, okay, let me hear it. Every time I try to tell him a new crazy story. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten good at being succinct, though. That's one thing this show has helped me with. Uh, Erica, I want to focus a little bit on your current work, obviously, but one question I have, how do you approach the research of a character when you get a new project? 
uh, how do you decide what to read, what stuff to take? Uh, so, I mean, X23 is a great place to begin. You're writing X23 Deadly Regenerasis right now. Uh, it's set in a past continuity version of her. Uh, how do you approach researching a character like this and choosing what to use? Well, she Laura is very unique because she was actually created for the X-Men Evolution cartoon. That was her first creation. Uh, I want to say in 2002. That sounds right. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was the third season. And, she, and then she comes back in the fourth season. But the third season is is where we're introduced to her. And so it was interesting that that she had that, you know, that incarnation there. And then she came into the comics versus sort of the, the opposite, where usually you have the comics that then go into the other media. She's Marvel's Harley Quinn. Yeah, she, she is. She is and... Marvel's Harley Quinn, but I also. think a lot cooler than Harley Quinn. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just me. Um, but yeah, so she I know there was this whole thing with NYX where she was a child prostitute and all the other stuff. And I'm like, look, she was literally born and raised to be an assassin. Isn't that enough trauma? Like, why do we have to push sexual assault in there, too? Because like every character you were just mentioned, Karen Page, like every character has some crazy sexual assault story. No. So with with X23, with the this particular, the Deadly Regenesis, what I asked the editors were, okay, what do you want to do? Because this was just before, when I when I spoke with them, this was just before old woman Laura was uh became a thing. And I was like, that is because there's a lot listeners, of listeners X23 has some crazy history. She's not a character my listeners who have not read the modern stuff are familiar with, but just trust me, there's the clones and then clones of clones and then clones of clones of clones. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. But yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's an old woman version and also a child version and a regular version of this character all running around. But yeah, the child that. version is Gabby. <laughs> and Gabby's I love the Gabby. Child version. But then there's also Zora, and then there was uh Bologna. Mm-hmm. And then there was another version who originally kicked off the, I think it's the Mariko Tamaki uh, uh, series where that was that version that was killed in Paris. So there's actually like four versions of her. Yeah, it's all crazy. Um, but I didn't want to lean into, I, I said to the editors, like, look, the stuff that's going on with the, the five and the resurrection, I mean, that's going to get really, really complicated. And I don't want to pitch anything that's going to either mess with that continuity or that I'm going to have to change a million times over because of that continuity. So where do you want to go? And they said, you know, well, we really liked, there was a lot of, of room to explore during the utopian era when she is, uh, when Cyclops puts her on X-Force and Logan is like, why are you doing this? And Cyclops is, because she's a good killer. Well, Logan's main job is, you know, as kind of like the father figure is he wants her to be like a regular kid, but she's scaring the shit out of every teenager on Utopia, including her <laughs> boyfriend, Hellion, because she's just like robotic and she's weird and she doesn't know like how to interact with people. So Logan basically tells her to go on walkabout. And I kind of wanted to approach this as like the Incredible Hulk 1977, where you she sort of like stumbles into these things so we have her on walkabout sort of trying to find not only like she's trying to find herself and her place in the world her place in utopia but she also has to reconcile with all the crazy shit that she's done and one thing i don't think people really understand is that logan 
yeah, he's like 160 years old. I think Brevoort said told me he was 160 something. So he, first of all, he had, for all intents and purposes, he had a normal childhood, which he did not. And secondly, he's had decades to come to terms with Department H, with uh, Weapon X, uh, with all the crazy shit that happened to him. She hasn't even had that time. You know, in continuity, she's like, what? Not old, not old woman, Laura, but regular Laura is what, like 22? Sure. So she hasn't had, you know, all these decades to really come to terms with who she is. And that's why Logan basically tells her to take a sabbatical. And so she does. And while she's trying to find herself, her past kind of sneaks up and kicks her in the face. Literally, in, in the literally case, in the case of Kimura. Yes. <laughs> literally kicks her in the face. And Haymaker. And Haymaker. I want to know all about. Um, I Haymaker is not I won't say Haymaker is the first trans character, but I I'm not sure of any other Marvel trans characters. There are a few. <clears throat> There's okay. some running around in X-Men particularly, but they're mostly new. There's a few kind of classic ones, but this is certainly one of the few that's receiving some prominent attention. So yes. that was actually my next question, which is a great uh, lead. And Arturo, do you want to talk about Haymaker at all? Yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I have a stack of comics I haven't read, and these two issues were on that stack so i only just read them like last night and both like just back to back uh so haymaker was just totally new to me and i just think you handled them so well like it's it's there's only two issues out so far right so far yeah um yeah. issue three comes out end of where the 18th issue three comes out uh i think the 31st so do, yeah. do you do you guys Haymakers in the whole series? But do you spell out that they're trans? Because like right now it's like you can tell from the art and you can, but it hasn't really been like textually. I I have not straight up said that they are trans, but um there are going to there are going to be pieces of art where you see um like scars on their yeah. chest and such. Yeah. Um and you are going to and they are going to talk more about their brother they introduce themselves with they them pronouns i do have to say that's one thing that's kind of almost been bothering me on a lot of reviews is they keep using he him pronouns for haymaker and i'm like you're obviously not paying attention because everybody is referring to jordan as they them so you're not paying attention you're not reading the comic but i'm like don't start that fight you know um but i mean we don't straight up say yes this is a trans man. Here you go. Um, but all the context is there. All the clues are there. And I kind of, I, I want to treat Jordan like it's normal to be a trans character. Like, I don't want to make it a thing that people get freaked out about or something like that. Because to me, having no, having trans people in the world is a normal thing. So yeah. why would it be, you know, why would it have a huge spotlight on it? I Ryan. think Ryan North did this. Ryan North did this in Unbeatable Squirrel yeah. Girl a few years ago, where Chipmunk yeah. and Koi Boy are her friends, and you see Koi Boy wearing a binder in a few images, and it's literally yeah. never explicitly stated that they're trans, but you know, and for those that are looking for it, you know as well, and it's brilliant. I I gotta say one thing I thought was so neat, just going from issue one to two, is um, 
uh, Jordan's brother saying, you know, he was basically doing these dirty jobs for his sibling. And I'm like, okay, now we're going to get into that's what it was for, you know, the operation or whatever. And no, not at all. It was to pay for, for their like gym membership, you know, like, yeah. So because it's just... Jordan, Jordan was a fighter and Jordan had, had talent and that's, I didn't want to do the dog day afternoon, right. you know, I, <laughs> I love to, that. You know, that reference. I love it. I, I just, I wanted to make it about Drew's love of Jordan and Drew's love of Jordan making something of themselves and using the talent that they had to better themselves. Because that's, that's the whole thing is like, Drew says, like, you can pay me back. You know, when you're, when you're, you've got your million dollar MMA contract, you can pay me back kind of thing. Um, because it, it it's this sort of back and forth between the two of them and like the genuine caring and the genuine love and the genuine sacrifice that each one makes for the other, I thought was really important to, to show. And that's, I mean, and Jordan thinks that they're doing the right thing by partnering up with Kamara, but you, you know, it's because they're blinded by the revenge they're blinded by being hurt and you know they always say hurt people do you know hurt people hurt people Yep. you know so uh for all the queer babies out there dog day afternoon is a reference to a 1975 i think that's the year uh al pacino movie which tells the story a true story or a parody of a true story about a man who robs a bank to help his uh, girlfriend get trans or gender reassignment surgery and it's a crazy story <laughs> it's, it's worth the watch just for the gay history of it all uh justin do you have any questions for erica uh yes <clears throat> so from what i recall i am a little bit behind on comics by a few months um just been busy with life um, you're forgiven but... <laughs> your cat is adorable you're forgiven <laughs> <laughs> yeah she likes to pop in i have no way of locking her out so if she does pop up doing my best not to be too distracting with her <laughs> but um last i recall um kimura got killed and i'm just um wondering now that she's back what it is you like about her just because i always thought she was a cool villain for x23 and you know almost kind of a rival to her kimura's power set is really weird because in and Chad, you might have actually even written this up. In in the power set, it says that Kimura is immune to adamantium, which I think is really very strange. It's it's possible that I wrote this up. I don't remember the specific entries I wrote anymore. Some of them I remember. Uh, from what I from what I recall, it, I I recall reading it a little bit like the character Cyber, who has like an adamantium skin, so you can't break his skin, or you can't break Wolverine's bones. So yeah. her skin is like adamantium proof, which makes her an interesting foil for Laura. But she can also phase through things. She is durable, is what they told me. Um, and she doesn't have enhanced strength, but she kind of has enhanced, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she can basically, like, exert more energy than most people. Like, whereas most people would probably drop dead, she can, you know, keep going. Um, and I know that Kimura is now currently dead. That's why we can bring her back uh, in because we're doing this in Utopia. But one of the things that I like about Kimura is also one of the things that I hate about her. And it's her cruelty. Like she is genuinely, she shows like the idea of like all women have a soft side, even the mean ones. No, no, Kimura has 
no conscience. She's like a sociopath, psychopath, nut job. And there is no conscience in her, whatever. And she is just, so it just shows that like anybody, woman, man, anybody, any person, any human on this planet is capable of horrible, horrible cruelty. And we've certainly seen it in the news. If you look at it, anybody. I do have a, you know? I do have a follow-up question to that. Um, with the upcoming book as well, um, will there be any, any look into Kimura's past at all? Just because you look at someone like her or just someone who's cruel in general and wonder, how did you get that way? And I know Emma Frost kind of dug yeah. into her mind a little bit about her grandma, but um, there's <laughs> also that there's also that mystery of like not knowing, you know? The well, Emma Frost thing is like one of the coolest like payback. Like I love Emma Frost for a good telepathic like takedown. Like when she recently made or not recently in the last couple of years, uh made those the bigots. Uh anytime you think of, you know, whatever you'll get violently ill. Like she's really good at this. And she took Kimura. Good good proof that like some people, some characters are just horrible and terrible and irredeemably awful and evil. But That's even sweet. those characters might have a dear sweet grandma somewhere. And the one like happy memory, the one happy un you know, uh unconditional loving person in her life. And Emma just like plucked that memory out of her head. That is the coldest. Yeah, uh, Kimura, you know, I think even with that loving, you know, nanny that, she, you know, grandma that she had, she's still a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> um, Let's be honest, the grandma couldn't have been great if you end up with Kimura. Come on. Yeah. But and I will grandma say grandma was a horrible person. <laughs> But then what made grandma such a horrible person? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think when, I think sometimes when you, when you look too hard for a reason for a character to be bad, um, I think sometimes that you're missing the point because some people are bad seeds. Like some people are legit, just piece of trash out the gate. And you know, despite the whole grandma Kimura thing, she, I mean, she's still awful. I mean, now she's dead, but uh, they say don't, don't, you know, speak ill of the dead. But what's she going to do? Come back? Uh, oh, I yeah, mean... she will. It's comics. <laughs> um, but no, she's, we're not going to, going to jump into uh, Kimura's past um, in the book. The only way that we see her in the past is, is when we literally see the cruelty that she, inflicts on Laura, which is pretty fucking ripe. Like it's, it's bad. Some of the things, I mean, I stopped the editor at one point and I was like, are we skirting torture porn here? Like, cause Laura's getting, not just getting the shit kicked out of her. She is like getting everything kicked out of her. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. And then when we got the colors back, he's like, there's so much red on the page. Yeah. Because Laura is bleeding everywhere. Um, I was like, yeah, I, I warned you about this, dude. I was like, I don't want to be known for writing torture porn now. Um, but yeah, Kamora is a hell of a character to write. So we also have a 
crazy storyline that's been going on in the comics recently. Uh, a lot of readers are very familiar with Madeline Pryor, who is the clone of Jean Grey, who kind of had her identity erased. And she just had a crazy giant event uh, with uh, Inferno, not not Inferno, Inferno's the old Dark one. Dark Web. With uh, Dark Web. And she teams up with Spider-Man's old clone, uh, Ben Riley, who is now goes by the name Chasm, who's also missing his memories and trying to figure out who he is. Uh, ben Riley brings in his girlfriend, Janine Godby, who's a character that's kind of unique to his life and not Peter's. It's like the one thing Ben had that Peter never did in some ways. Uh, and then she gets a major glow up and becomes the character Hallows Eve, uh, who has a mask that, well, like a bag of masks. I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, where whichever mask she puts on, she gets a different power set. It's a It's a wild power and it's really fun when you're exploring it. But it's uh, it's a character you didn't expect to see get this massive push. And now she's got a series and uh, you're going to be writing her later in an a Amazing Spider-Man annual they just announced. Talk to I us about your work with... I may not be uh, writing her again, but... Fabulous. Talk to us about your work with Hallow's Eve. She's an interesting character. She is. Now, she originally came around in Clone Conspiracy um, with James E. Mateus and J.R.J.R. did Clone Conspiracy. I want to say, what was that, 94, 95? That sounds that sounds right, I think. And I've yeah. interviewed James Amos Hayes a couple of times. He's a good friend at this point, but we have not talked about Janine. And she, well, she shows up and her backstory is when she meets Ben, she's using the name Janine. Her her actual name is Elizabeth, but she's on the run. And of course, she kills her father in self-defense because her father was sexually assaulting her because every woman in comics has to have sexual assault in her background. Um and so she was on the run and um, she was using, she had several different uh, um, aliases, but Janine was the one that she was using when she met Ben. And she was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. No, it was a diner. <laughs> but um, that sorry. much is true. <laughs> I, on occasion, I will just like slip into lines of music. Sorry about that. Um, you can cut that out. And uh, I will so not. <laughs> So she meets Ben and they both feel as if they both feel like two basically broken pieces and they fit together really well. And this is at the same time when Kane uh, is sort of let loose and when just before Ben finds out that he's actually the prime and that Peter is the clone, but then they, they reversed that. So Ben is sort of like driving around, you know, Salt Lake City. Um, and he meets up with Janine and the two of them just really click. They're, they're both missing something in their lives and the other sort of fills that. And so she ends up uh, turning herself in for the murder of her father and doing time. And that's the last we, we see of her. But with the Beyond storyline, uh, before Ben takes on the Mansell Chasm, he gets her out of jail or rather beyond gets her out of jail. Um, and that's sort of a, uh, one of the, the uh, stipulations of Ben working for beyond is that Janine is by his side. So she gets yanked out of jail and um, he, and she uh, continues to use the name Janine because that's the name that she had when she met Ben. So there's Sarah, there's Mary, Elizabeth is her real name, but Janine is the one that she sticks with because Ben is, you know, the only time that she's ever really been happy. So she's a character with lots of identities. And then she gets this crazy mask but from Madeline Pryor. She gets Pryor. this, like, finger jammed into her chest. 
exist. And it's like this weird thing that they did. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of gross. But all right. Yeah, she gets this this big bag, this endless bag of masks. And it's like the TARDIS inside the bag. It's like, you know, endless masks there. And it was a lot of fun, like, figuring out what masks were going to do what. Um, because there were a few that were showcased in the... Uh, in Venom 14 and in uh, ASM 16. And um, so there were a few that I knew had already existed, like the Frankenstein mask. Um, I really wanted to have fun with the werewolf mask, though. And, and, I, and I really made a, a case for it with, with Nick uh, Lowe about what we could do with the werewolf mask. And, you know, and Janine technically is a villain, but she's, I, I think she's a little bit more misunderstood. And she's she's by no means is she Kimura. She's not a cruel person. But her whole thing is, I want to be with Ben. We need to be together. If I got to rob a bank to get some money so we don't have to keep looking over our shoulder, then that's what I'm going to do. But once we've got enough money to go wherever, disappear, we're not going to bother you. You don't bother us is kind of her thing. Um, so she has that singular focus of, you know, get Ben out now out of limbo, uh, out of the limbo embassy rather, get Ben out and let's just move on and get our life together. Just be together. That's for her, that's like it. There's something very, uh, this is not a fair comparison, but there's something very rogue about her where you, you get to see the same character using different power sets and it's wildly fun. Yeah. I love your X23 work. I might even prefer your All Hallows Eve work because it's just, I, I said All Hallows, All Hallows Eve work. It's just really fun. There's a part of me when I'm reading that like goes very, like the, the kid in me that fell in love with comics in the first place as I'm reading these stories because I just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and I really yeah. hope you title one of your issues Mask Seeking Mask. That would make me very happy. <laughs> well, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the themes that I tried to have throughout Hollow's Eve was in, in the first issue, she talks about this idea of um, the, the, the deck is stacked against her. So all the titles of all the issues are, has something to do with poker or cards. So there's like Joker's Wild, there's Down the River, there's uh, Anti Up, um, and things like that. So although on one of, on, on one of the um, lettering proofs I saw, it didn't say anything. And I was like, are we, did we drop the titles? Like I worked hard on those. <laughs> I was Googling like poker, different poker phrases for like two days. Uh, Arturo and Justin, do you have more questions for Erica? Well, your description of <clears throat> Hollow's Eve, I know you mentioned um, Rogue. I got Tarot from the Hellions from her, like each card doing a different power. It was giving that. Yeah. Do you know the character Tarot? I I am familiar with Tarot and that like a, whichever card comes out gives her a different power set for a temporary period of time, right? Yes. 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 And it's it's similar to that. Um, although Eve can wear multiple masks. I wanted this idea of like being able to combine powers. And then Nick was like, no, 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 too powerful, too powerful. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Have to give her limits. 
Uh, she's fun, man. She's a really fun character. And you're doing great work. Torture porn and Frankenstein masks and anything in between. You're doing you're doing phenomenal with these characters. I will I will let you in on a little secret. The the man who is turned into a werewolf, the, the security guard, um, his name is Simon Carter, and he is literally named after my cat. <laughs> <laughs> So, has, yes. has anyone told Hallow's Eve, um, go back to Party City where you belong? Has anyone said I, that to her yet? I had a whole scene. So in the beginning, <laughs> we didn't know, we didn't know um, whether it was the masks that were magical or whether it was she that was magical. So we had this like whole back and forth about like how the powers actually work and this and the next thing. And I had a scene where she broke into a spirit Halloween and she was just like armfuls of masks. And I was like, well, what if she got a Thor mask or a Spider-Man mask? Would she then be a hero? And Nick was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if we could do that. I was like, please, please, please let me have her break into a spirit Halloween. It didn't <laughs> work out. Sadly, it did not work out. But. Uh, and Nick Lowe is a phenomenal guy. Uh, that's a great editor to oh, be yes. for. Nick is Nick is a great editor. I know. I know. All I'm doing is talking about how he pushes back, but no, he's he's a good guy. Uh, Erica, I love hearing. I love getting to know you a little bit, but I love hearing you talk about these characters with such affection. It's it's always just wonderful. We read these pages. We don't realize the months and months of work people put in, or the amount of thought they give to each scene, each yeah. panel, the way things look, and how they come out. Uh, you're a fantastic writer. I'm I'm really excited to get to meet you today. Um, we're going to do a slightly early transition. Normally we talk a little longer, but we have a lot to talk about in our issues today and we're going to keep talking with each other, but I'm going to introduce our books here really quickly because there's a lot to cover in these two stories. The uh, 75 so characters. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men The Hidden Years, once again, as we've talked about on the show, was John Byrne's kind of tribute to Neil Adams. Oh, and you have a connection to Neil Adams. I meant to I ask you about I this earlier. Do you want to talk about that briefly? Uh, yeah, I I worked at Continuity Studios, which was the studio that Neil um, that Neil had uh, in New York City, and I worked there for uh, about eight years. And I did animation there. I did uh, we did commercial work, but I did lettering and inking and background art and pretty much a little bit of everything. Did, did color work. I did a little bit of everything there, um, and uh, and I learned. I really you know, learned not only about crafting stories uh, through comics and using comics as a medium to tell stories, but I also learned about the nitty gritty, you know, the formatting of pages, the lettering of pages. Uh, I learned a lot about comics history um, and we would do things both uh, analog and digital. So sometimes I would be drawing backgrounds digitally, other times we would be drawing them um, on board or other times I would literally be drawing them on a separate piece of paper. I would get out my light box and I would be, you know, I'd have the um, the rubber cement and I was like pasting, doing paste ups on board, like old school stuff. Um, it was an education. It was genu genuinely an education. And, um, and it was, you know, it, when I got the news that he had passed last year, it was, you know, it was really, it was kind of rough. So I, I sent it, you know, a message out to the family and I said, you know, if you need anything, you know where I am. Um, and I got to see his, uh, his two daughters and, um, and Marilyn, his widow at New York Comic Con uh, this past year. So it was good to reconnect with them. Are so you a, are you a crusty bunker? 
I technically am a Krusty Bunker. I actually have a Krusty Bunker pin that we made up. Hey, all right. <laughs> so yeah, any if you don't know what the Krusty Bunkers were, Krusty Bunkers were the people that would ink Neil, and I have inked Neil. So I am technically a Krusty Bunker. Yes, That's I'm a, one of the I'm one of the last Krusty Bunkers. You're you're one of the uh, the elite few. Uh, Tom Tom Palmer being the first and foremost among them, of course. Exactly. Uh, okay, so John Byrne uh, did this series in the early 2000s. It's a tribute to Neil Adams, especially his work on the X-Men. It's set immediately after X-Men Volume 1, number 66. It takes The whole 22 issues take place in about a week and a half, as far as I can tell. And it picks up on some 60s continuity. It uh, brings in some new characters. One of the things uh, Byrne does right from the beginning is just blast the team apart. Everybody's uh, in different areas. And uh, we get uh, in these issues, you'll notice as we talk about it today and in our last episode and in our next one, we'll get like one page with one character. Like Iceman pops up for like a page and a half here, but we don't see any of that payoff for a couple more issues still. Uh, Havoc and Lorna are flying around in this ship in the Savage Land for like six straight issues, but it's it's like three days in the in the real time. Uh, so there's a lot of those types of stories. Uh, we uh, we have uh, Tom Palmer on Eeks, of course. John Byrne is both writer, letterer, and uh, penciler on these books, with Gregory Wright on colors, Jason Liebig on edits. Uh, Gregory and Jason were the guests on my uh, X-Men The Hidden Years number one episode that we did. So go back to that one if you'd like to learn more about the intricacies of this series. And I'm just noting this in every episode, although we do not need to spend time on it today. John Byrne is a controversial figure. He's a little bit polarizing. There are some problematic things, but we're going to do our best to just enjoy the work and uh, and just uh, have fun with his beautiful pencils. Uh, and we don't always have to talk about the rest, but it also is okay too. So I'm trying to create that positive energy in this space, but I know there's a lot of controversy there. Uh, previously in The Hidden Years, I'll keep this very brief, the X-Men went to the Savage Land to find the corpse of Magneto, but instead they met these mutant slave drivers and defeated them, and they met a mutant uh, woman from their race named Avia, who's this strange Jim Henson-looking bird woman that you'll see for about a page uh, in, this, <laughs> in these couple issues. Uh, Beast, Marble Girl, and Cyclops uh, teamed up with Storm to fight uh, Miss Deluge. Uh, we call her Deluge. Uh, and uh, now they're back at the X-Mansion where Professor X has just met Candy Southern and she beautifully tells him off. Uh, but now the Fantastic Four are waiting for them. That's that's we'll, we'll get into that today. Meanwhile, Havoc and Lorna are running around the Savage Land with Kazar in an airship. And Iceman, who currently has no memories of who he is, uh, was found in the jungle by Carl Lycos, the human version of Sauron, who strapped him to a board and bought, brought him back to his treehouse. And it's very homoerotic between these two in this uh, in this era. Uh, I was going to say it's that episode of uh, of uh, X Files with the woman strapped to the board under the bed. <laughs> Uh, lastly, uh, Angel and Avia have been picked up by a fishing trawler, and they're keeping them tied up and are planning to sell them to a creepy man named Stefan Kruger, who we will briefly meet in this uh, episode. Uh, the issue eight is called Shadow on the Stars. This is from June 2000. Uh, whenever we're introducing a major new concept on the show, I like to spend a few minutes on it quickly. So we're going to open with the Phoenix Force today. We're going to assume you've never heard of the Phoenix Force. I'm going to do a quick intro on this, and let's talk about it. Uh, so, so guests, be thinking about what you love and or hate about the Phoenix Force. Uh, this needs a whole episode of the show, frankly, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, let's keep it simple. For today, in the Marvel Universe, there are many versions and variations on God. 
and it's weird but also fantastic that many of them take on forms that can be perceived by humans. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the character Eternity, who's literally the entire universe in like a humanoid form that will like go on adventures with Doctor Strange sometimes. Death takes on a human form and interacts with humans. So there's this great kind of anthropomorphosis of godlike characters who take on human qualities and human emotional traits. And the Phoenix Force is the one of those that's most widely explored in the X-Men. But also on this list are anyone like the elders of the universe and the celestials, even the Asgardians and the Olympians, uh, you know, Thor's pantheon and Hercules's pantheon. These all kind of fit into this space. There's also elder gods that exist outside of time and they want to dominate or control or wipe things out. Dormammu is here. There's all these characters, Galactus, the Beyonders. Uh, but what we want to focus on specifically is uh, the Phoenix Force. The Phoenix Force is listed most often, although I have had hints from Jordan White that there may be revelations coming out about the Phoenix Force in the next few months that may change the way we understand it. I truly don't know what that means, but just watch for things in the comics because we recently had a revelation about Krakoa that completely changed everything about Krakoa. It's actually a mutant that's like a bajillion years old that grew into Krakoa. So sometimes we get uh, we get big things and I'm, I'm expecting something big regarding the Phoenix Force. The Phoenix Force is listed as one of the cosmic forces that shaped the universe. It always appears as a bird of fire. It is uh, like the Phoenix from myth. It will die and then be reborn. It is listed as both fire and life. So energy and creation, but also vast destruction. And then the rebirth of all of that. It wanders the universe and it seems fascinated by bonding with humans who have emotions and desires, and it makes those humans capable of, again, fire or life, creation or destruction. There's a light version of them or a dark version of them, which is where the dark phoenix concept comes in. Originally in the comics, it bonds with Jean Grey in the famous Claremont storyline, which we'll eventually get to on my show, but it's maybe Marvel's most famous story ever. We've more recently seen it bond with uh, Jason Aaron's 1 billion or 1 million BC Avengers with the character named Firehair. Uh, it's bonded with Echo uh, Lopez in the comics currently. So we do see it uh, once it was split in five and given to five separate X-Men for a period of time. It also lays eggs. People will hunt down the Phoenix eggs. We just talked to Neil Clyde about his new book, Phoenix Chase, which is all about that. And so we have Phoenix and we have Dark Phoenix. Uh, we'll explore a lot of this more another time, but what Byrne is doing in this issue is taking Jean Grey and giving her her first canonical exposure to the Phoenix Force during the issue we're about to review. So it's important to talk about this, which is a crazy hint, because for readers who were picking this book up in the early 2000s, to see Jean as the Phoenix on one of the covers of these books, you're like, oh my god, holy shit, what's happening here? Just like you were with Storm in the issues before, which we reviewed with Stephanie Williams last time. Uh, so we'll get into the issue review in a moment, but let me hear your thoughts from the panel on the Phoenix Force. What do you love? What do you hate? Were you surprised to see it here today? Justin, do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, I have mixed feelings about the Phoenix, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, Artura, how about you? Um, well, I think the thing I like the most about the Phoenix Force is that at its core, it's a messy bitch that just likes mess and likes to have fun at the end of the day. She wants to feel things. Um, I think there's a little bit of like, a, at least in its 
original portrayal, um, it was a little bit just kind of like, uh, you know, it's uh, a woman unchained from her, you know, inhibitions and feeling all, you know, which is kind of like very dated, but uh, I really like was it but, but for the early 70s was a really big deal <laughs> it was cool yeah it's amazing i mean um i think it was morrison who introduced the white the white hot, white room, hot room right i i thought I, I liked that concept like when i saw the seeing the phoenix portrayed in a in a godlike way like that i thought i i found very interesting i always interpreted the white hot room to basically be um like an artist like light box and like they're creating the pages of the comic book and the white hot room is like what's off the page and it's like creation it's like a meta ready for a career in behavioral health earn your online degree at herzing university choose from health and human services psychology or social work programs gain the skills to work coordinate and manage nonprofits. secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online masters of social work let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. You know, uh, at, I just looked it up. The White Hot Room was introduced by Claremont in Classic X-Men number eight in 1987. It's a Claremont. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, reintroduced then, I guess. By <laughs> I guess um, one thing. Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Go. I'm done. I guess one thing I do want to say, like with the Phoenix, um, while it has lost a little bit of its kind of special touch, just because it's had so many hosts, um, I do, I do kind of wish we got a little bit more um, look into a bit of a look into. Rachel Gray's control of it just because she was one of the few people who could really control and harness that power. Uh, Erica, do you have thoughts on the Phoenix Force? Um, I think that the Phoenix is, in, in one sense, it's a very unique idea. And in the other sense, it's just borrowing from multiple types of mythology, like multiple culture, cultural mythology and such. One thing that I, I, liked about the phoenix that i thought was very interesting is this idea of you know if the phoenix only wants gene is it because gene like arturo was saying like it's it's this idea of you know it just wants to feel something it wants to 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 be a part of something um if if the phoenix only wants gene then the, then does that mean that gene is just you know the 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 stuffy stuck up bitch the entire time you know and the phoenix is like gene you know letting her hair down kind of thing gene's all phoenix why are you so obsessed with me <laughs> but then you know we saw phoenix five and avx um and we saw how it, it was uh namor emma colossus cyclops and was it iliana uh yes uh-huh yeah and and I thought it was very interesting that the Phoenix got split between them all because I originally I was thinking, okay, w before that came up, I was like, okay, so the Phoenix is basically like a psychic force. So it's only going to go to the psychics because in uh, End Song, at the end of End Song, it goes to the Cuckoos. And then you have, with the Cuckoos, you have War Song um, that Greg Pak wrote. And 
but then I was like, oh, so it's really interesting how the Phoenix influences Ileana and her abilities with limbo and everything. And, you know, how does the Phoenix influence, you know, a brawler, a bruiser like Piotr? So I think it's I think it's interesting that it's that how the the concept of the phoenix has been sort of morphing more and more. At the same time, I kind of I'm I'm kind of like a, a an OG kind of person where I really like the original idea of it. But um, and I think didn't Moon Knight in Fist of Khonshu didn't Moon Knight uh, get some phoenix? Jason, uh, Aaron? Jason Aaron did a story in his recent Avengers where there's a whole bunch of heroes like participating in a uh like an arena battle they all have phoenix powers and the winner gets to keep the phoenix basically is is kind of how it went and it's okay. fun, but it's also so much and that's just kind of where my two thoughts about the phoenix come from number one it's amazing to see your characters get power upgrades there's something so cool about captain america picking up thor's hammer or like rogue flaming on or you know cyclops popping wolverine claws there's always something amazing about that or apocalypse powering anybody up as a horseman so gene getting this like major power upgrade it's super exciting to see that on the page but there's something that's not and this is my second thought there's something that loses its kind of luster when it's overdone and we're reading so many comics every month galactus is a great example of this when he first shows up in fantastic four you're like amazing but galactus is like in a book 20 times a year and it just there's not something that you kind of lose it, it doesn't feel as special any longer because it feels so complicated uh, the Phoenix has, I think, over 300 appearances in Marvel Comics, which is a lot to keep track of for like a, a godlike entity that just powers people up. Uh, and there's only so much you can explore about that. So it's an interesting thing. But it is fun to see it in this book. I I actually like this piece of the story we're about to review. Uh, the last piece I'll give before we jump into our review, the Fantastic Four, uh, Jack Kirby and uh, Stan Lee's run on FF ran, I think, 102 issues. It's one of the most famous of all time. This issue uh, for the Fantastic Four crossing over would have been right around Fantastic Four 100, which is near the end of their run, uh, which is right around the time X-Men was getting canceled or, or changing into reprints back in the late 60s. Uh, so this is where we see uh, Sue has a baby and they're off visiting Agatha Harkness and Crystal has just been welcomed to the team. So we'll kind of open up there. Uh, let's uh, let's begin with the cover. We have a classic team up image on X-Men number eight. Uh, this is called Shadow uh, Shadow on the Stars. Uh, we've got uh, Gene riding beasts back. Uh, they're teaming up with the Fantastic Four. We've got all four of the FF plus the three X-Men in a, in a great burn pinup together. Uh, do you guys like this cover? What are your thoughts? I love this. This reminds me of an old lunchbox I had it as a kid. This is definitely like an homage, like the the positioning of the Fantastic Four. It just it completely took me back there. Well, and Byrne has a long history of doing FF as well. He has a long run on the Fantastic Four. And it looks like something that it looks like something that would be homaged. It's a very classic team up looking cover. Uh, Eric, any thoughts? I just you pulled were, it back up. Um, are you an FF fan? <laughs> you know, I've I've read Fantastic Four. Um, I have like the the old um, compendiums uh, of like the first, I guess, twenty issues or whatever of F Fantastic Four, and it just seemed super dated. But at the same time, like there was something really just very interesting about it. One thing I will always say: um, whenever they draw, whenever anybody draws Mister Fantastic wherever his fists are like he's in this cover his fist is literally like the entire like 
lower torso and crotch of Cyclops <laughs> in this cover. And I just think it's funny that like they just draw his fists in these impossible, you know, positions. Um, and it's interesting that uh, what's her face? Crystal doesn't have a four on her chest and she looks like she's about to faint. <laughs> she's like, oh, um, well, Erica, you tried to kill her. <laughs> I would love to kill her. And, and our turn is going to kill me for saying this. I hate Emma Frost. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> oh this was going so well. <laughs> no, but this is the reason why. I'll tell you why. Because when I was doing Astonishing X-Men and I had to lip sync her, the voice actress made her sound so, it was just, I, I hated the performance. And it's not the voice actress's fault, but I just hated the performance and then having to listen to the dialogue, the Joss Whedon dialogue over and over and over again, coming out of Emma's mouth. It was just, it was too much for me. It broke me. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I do think, but like Arturo also said, this is very much like a, a lunchbox cover. You know, this is, this is, this is the cereal box, you know? Um, this is, you know, X-Men, you know, meets the Fruit Loops. <laughs> uh, X-Men are the Fruit Loops. Uh, Burn does draw, Burn does draw, uh, draw a pretty group shot sometimes. So I'm going to recover the first half of issue eight very quickly. We spend the first three pages flashing back to that time that Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Beast dressed like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and the Toad in order to fight the Sentinels because they were like... Switch changing costumes will fool these robots. That was back in X-Men number 59. Go listen to my episode with Jerry Gaylord if you haven't. It's a ton of fun. We laughed the whole way through it. Uh, the Sentinels then fly into the sun at the end of that story. But apparently there were some Sentinels left over. And that's all we need to know because that will matter in the next issue. Or the like two issues from now when we see a Sentinel. Uh, so no, then we go back to the X-Mansion where the Fantastic Four, it's Mr. Fantastic Thing, Human Torch, and Crystal. Because uh, 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 Invisible Woman is off visiting Agatha Harkness at uh, Whisper Hill. Uh, Reed says that they are there to keep the whole human race safe and Beast quips, you'll forgive me for P Professor R Richards, but we X-Men have too many on too many occasions heard just that phrase, used as a rallying cry by which to launch yet another attack on mutant kind, which is a great way to establish the difference between these two teams. And Reed, Reed responds by saying, my apologies, Beast. I don't mean to bandy buzzwords. Unlike many others, I do not consider mutants to be anything other than human. And then Xavier comes in and says that you are not alone in such thinking is one of the rocks upon which we build our resolve, Reed. Like, you're one of the few people we can trust. Thanks for being an ally. And the, the queer subtext in all of this is sometimes very on the page, even though it's unintentional that way. Uh, and then Thing goes, all right, all right, enough with the mutual admiration society. Everybody thinks everybody's swell. Now, what about that little matter of Baldy here poking around in our heads without no search warrant? And Xavier goes... An unfortunate way of expressing the action, grim but accurate. So the FF are there to investigate because at the end of X-Men Volume 1, Xavier united all of the minds of humankind in order to repel the Xenox. And the FF are there to say, like, what the hell? What were you doing, man? And so for thing calling Xavier out in this way is kind of phenomenal. Uh, uh, Professor X orders the students to go get uh, changed. Jean heads up to her room and she's thinking something's off about Professor X. Something's always off about Professor X. But also recently he got gamma irradiated, if you remember, which is not going to do uh, a, a lot of wonders for him. Uh, we have talked about that on this show a lot. All of Jean's laundry is dirty, so she puts on her old blue and yellow uniform with the black kitty cat mask, alters it a bit, and then thinks, oh, I look so good, which is something Jean always does when she puts on costumes that she designs herself. 
Uh, and it turns out Professor X is acting weird. When he sees Jean, he seems to think he's back on the very first day that she joined the X-Men. Uh, Xavier explains to the Fantastic Four after Jean snaps him out of whatever mental funk he's in about the time he saved the planet from the Xenoks. And he recounts their whole history. And it's very dense. But we've already reviewed this on the show pretty extensively. Basically, the Xenoks have a traveling planet. They go around the universe and conquer worlds with it. And Professor X had to pretend to be dead and have Changeling die in his place because he's the only one who could stop the Xenoks, even though he had to use the X-Men to do it anyway. It's a great story from X-Men number 65. Again, go back and listen to my episode with Keith Keith DeCandido and Alex Segura if you'd like to review that one more extensively. Uh, It also turns out the Xenoks had a design flaw. They feel no compassion. So Xavier pushed them away. Uh, and that's kind of where we will stop the first half of this. Justin, will you pick up the latter half of issue number eight? And then let's spend a few minutes talking about it. Yes. So um, <clears throat> after the brief explanation about the Xenox. Um, brief? Professor X- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're great. <laughs> okay. Throwing me off here. <laughs> Um, so Professor X explains to Reed that all he did to drive the Xenox away to... Oh my god. Bleh. You're fine. Go ahead. Professor X explains to Reed all that he did to drive the Xenox away, which she just covered. Everyone else seemed bothered that they had the potential to cause harm to other planets and um, was concerned about what could be done about the Xenox. So... um Everybody else. Xavier has a quote where he goes, my focus was entirely upon the salvation of our world. I gave no thought to others, which is so telling of Charles Xavier. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas everybody else was like, aren't you worried about other planets getting attacked? Um, After that, the scene cuts to two sailors arriving on a motorboat and they pull up to a bigger boat approaching the character named Kruger, who promised these sailors a massive amount of wealth as long as they have what he desires. And um, that would be Angel and Avia, who are tied up and gagged. After We'll, uh, we'll come back to Kruger in a future episode. But basically, this guy's a tall, skinny, bald man with the worst haircut ever, who has the same powers as Leech. He can, like, cancel your powers out. So we'll talk more about him another time. He looks like that guy from Rocky Horror. I cannot remember his name. The one with magenta. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. The butler. Riffraff? Yeah, Yeah, Riffraff. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you got what I meant. (laughs) So, excuse me. Forest fires here. Um, Scene comes back to the X-Men and the Fantastic Four marveling over Reed's repurposing of a scroll ship as they travel to outer space. Uh, Jean starts to feel a little overwhelmed and uneasy, um, almost as if she's being watched. You cuts to some Phoenix foreshadowing as you see a Phoenix shape in the stars and just the general space background. After they hit hyperspace, it cuts to Candy Southern, who Yay! enters the mansion, looking stunning, gorgeous, iconic, and she is greeted by one of um, Professor X's sentries, and she's looking to talk to Angel. Um, And basically the sentry has her on standby, which then cuts to Havoc, Polaris, and Kazar 
um, still flying over the Savage Land, and the Mini Cerebro detects Iceman is in the Savage Land, which they seem confused by because they thought Iceman quit the team and start to fly back in the direction where Iceman was detected. Um, after that, it goes back to the Fantastic Four and the X-Men in space, where they are approaching the Xenox world and are under attack by their ships. Hopefully I'm saying Xenox right. Yep. <laughs> uh, basically, after they are attacked, Johnny flames up and exits the ship, fighting them head-on. Um, Cyclops and Crystal, they start firing from the ship as well. Crystal firing general energy and Cyclops' optic beams. And Thing and Beast are tethered from the ship and attacking them with strength. While all this fighting is going on, Jean feels the presence that was kind of looming over her before it consumes her entirely, making her something else. The embodiment of raw naked power. Cyclops I, I can relate. <laughs> Raw and naked, though. Um, Cyclops <laughs> is confused as she is consumed by a firebird, that of the phoenix. Uh, Cyclops can't... is terrified and mildly turned on. <laughs> All, really turned on, let's be honest. I was going to say, not mildly. Uh, Candy, can... Southern, Candy Southern is there to give Angel the news, and this will be a future episode. Angel's father was murdered by his evil uncle Dazzler. And uh, later in Champions, we get the mention that Angel's mother has died. Burn's going to pick that story up here because his evil Uncle Dazzler tries to marry his mom. And that's what that's what Candy's there to tell Angel. Like, hey, your mom's getting married to your evil uncle. It's like very Hamlet. They even call it Hamlet in the book. Uh, so we'll we'll pick that up in a future uh, in a future issue review as well. Burn has a lot of plot lines that he's juggling around all together. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, do you think when Beast saw that scroll ship, he's like, ooh, maybe I could weaponize the legacy virus against the scrolls one day, if you guys remember <laughs> that story from the Beast trial. Uh, <laughs> Erica and Arturo, what were your thoughts on issue number eight? I, I thought, you know, I think the whole thing about Hidden Years is such an interesting way of, like, falling back into the past and trying to, like, rewrite the X history but like try to sort of reshape it. Um, not really rewrite it, but reshape it. Um, I think the idea of, and, and this is you know from a previous issue that, that we're not covering here, the idea of breaking everybody up and having you know, Iceman here and you know, Lorna and Alex there and you know, just three of the X-Men that we, you know, three of the core X-Men, Gene, Scott, and, and Hank. Um, I think that that's really interesting because one of the things that the X-Men really prides themselves on is this idea of like, we, we work as a team, you know, they know each other's powers so well that they try and sort of work off of that. Whereas now, you know, they've, they have to sort of reassess who they are, what their power sets are, but also their sort of plan of attack. And and you lose some of the heart because, you know, Bobby was the young kid. He had like this enthusiasm. And, you know, this is, you know, when Hank became smart, because remember when they first had Hank, he was like the, the he was basically the thing just with big feet. Um, <laughs> but, but he also um, read, but he also read books on like math and science. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, but he would read them upside down. Um <laughs> So I think it's I think it's interesting to to see how you know how the team has to reassess itself 
and say, okay, Charles is not exactly um, reliable right now because Jeannie even says it. Weird, something weird's going on with Chuck over there. Um, and because of that, they sort of have to, they're kind of still on their own in, in, in their own way. And, you know, they're literally just with the Fantastic Four in the middle of space. So, uh, Arturo, what were your thoughts? Couple things. I love that. Well, first of all, I just want to give it up to Lorna for stealing the entire issue in just one panel. And all she's doing is like lounging in the back seat of their little spaceship. <laughs> in like, I love that. Like, you could, in my head, I could see the little cup of, cup of coffee like in her hand. <laughs> like, that characterization of hers is not exactly anything new. Like, it's, it's been around. She's also so like, oh, fuck, that. I've been on this ship for five issues. Let me off of the fucking ship. <laughs> I just love her. She always knows how to serve a look. Um, I was also taken aback by the blatant use of mutant magic circuitry there. Like, they did a full-blown circuit to, you know, stop the, the Xenox. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, and last but not least, uh, you know, I don't know Connor personally, but I am a big fan of the Cerebro cast. And I cannot read any Candy Southern thought bubble, word bubble without hearing it in exactly that voice. So that was a treat. Uh, Connor, uh, I'm I, Connor's a friend of mine. I'm going on Connor's show for the first time in a few weeks, which I'm so excited about. I also have major plans for Candy Southern on my show uh, in in the the near future. I love this character; she's one of my all time favorites. Uh, I wanted to mention wonky Kirby science as well. This is something they always had to do, and this is from the Fantastic Four. Before the Human Torch jumps into space, he takes time to put on his oxygen web that lets me fly in space and still stay on fire. So they always have some sort of wonky science explanation as far as why things can work. They also give like a sciencey reason why they can talk in space, which is always funny. Uh, but you got to love, I don't know, when you see the Human Torch underwater fighting Namor, but he can still shoot fire out of his hands, like that kind of stuff in comics is just, it always cracks me up. It makes me, it makes me really <laughs> happy. We're seeing Ryan North do a lot of really cool exploration about the science of things in his current Fantastic Four run, if you're reading it. It's it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, as we jump into issue number nine, this issue is called Dark Destiny. We get an image of naked, naked uh, raw Jean Grey on the cover, covered in flames, as <laughs> all of the X Men and Fantastic Four are like, "Oh my God!" Uh, what are your thoughts on this cover? Um, I think that Byrne and Palmer should have been in black or in a different color, and should have been on the right side of the uh, of the. I said I almost said screen of the page of the cover because uh, you can barely read Burn and you can almost certainly not read Palmer. Sure, sure. Um, and again, you've got Reed in these weird ass positions, uh, and you've got <laughs> Scott doing the no, Gene, my love, why? Um, as Human Torch and Human Torch almost gets lost in the background, like he's almost like totally lost in the background. Uh, and same thing with thing, and I think it has to do with the color scheme. Scott's pose, I I almost hear how he sounds in the '90s animated cartoon, the Gene. No. <laughs> you guys ever watch Less Burn Holes? Mm. So I don't know if it's still online, but somebody had done a re-edit and re-voiceover of a bunch of the old 90s x-men 90s cartoons and they're just they're just like 
really crass and really dirty and really fucking funny. Well, now I gotta look this up. Now I'm you intrigued. have to look it up. <laughs> yes, it's and there's like this whole one thing where like Wolverine is like, um. Wolverine and Gambit get into a fight and he's like, go masturbate into a sock. Like, <laughs> so fucking weird. It is so weird, but so funny. Oh, but yeah, you have to look it up. Um, I don't know. They might have been taken down because they're technically breaking copyright. But um, if you if you do find them online, they are very funny. Um, well, Erica, Erica, open up number nine for us and tell us what happens at the beginning of the book. Okay, so at the beginning, we are um, at Agatha Harkness's, uh, I would say, manor. Um, and Sue is there with um, with little Franklin, baby Franklin. And Sue is there, uh, and, and Crystal has taken Sue's place on the Fantastic Four. And Sue is, of course, like, well, you know, um, I wanted to be with my family, and my husband insisted that I'm here and I stay with you to be protected, but you know, I feel like I should be able to protect my family. And Agatha Harkness has a black cat with, uh, just like Justin, uh, petting her black cat. <laughs> she's she's um, she's petting her pussy by the fire and looking very sour. <laughs> petting her pussy by the fire with this really weird, like creepy, scary mask. And then she sits down by the fire with Franklin and she's got like this like weird rattle that almost looks like a scepter uh, of some type, you know, so who knows like what, what weird spell she's going to pull. Um, and, and if to be a baby and have that creepy mask, like in your eyeline, like, whoa, that was weird. Um, but, but Agatha is just sort of, you know, trying to, I guess in, in a certain way, she's almost like denigrating Sue being like, you know, look. They had their mission. They're doing their thing. Like, just chill the fuck out. And uh, and Sue's just, you know, no more than we've ever faced before. Faced together since we became the Fantastic Four. You're frustrated that your place with your teammates has been taken by another. And I think Sue is pretty much always the one that is always getting replaced. Like, either by Crystal or by She-Hulk or whomever. So, I mean, Sue's probably the one that's always sort of getting shoved to the side. And I think this is why, you know, she's a little pissed off about it. And she even says, Crystal is skilled and competent, but what I feel and what you and I both feel, this may be a threat that could demand all of our powers to stop it. So you flip the page and you have dark destiny and you've got naked, you know, fiery Jean. And Scott is of course like, Jean, Jean, are you okay? As he's totally confused. And Scott always, is it me or does Scott always come off as just being so clueless to everything? It's like, you're a fucking mutant. Of course, weird shit's going to happen, dude. Like, why are you always so surprised? Um, and, you know, this is the first time really when we hear Phoenix speak saying, you know, yes, I'm fine, but I'm not Jean. Like, Jean is gone. I am now, you know, I'm just sort of taking over. So you've got this, you know, beautiful burn splash page, orange and red everywhere. And um, one of one of Jean's nipples is burned away, and the other is covered by her hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of one of her nipples is gone, and the other one is just like boop, <laughs> kind of like uh, who was it? Was it Lil Kim who put like the little flower uh, for the MTV Movie Awards or the MTV uh, Video Music Awards one year? And I just remember Diana Ross like tapping her boob <laughs> <laughs> when they were doing an interview. She's just like boop boop boop. <laughs> um, 
And and so yeah, but this is the interesting thing is that the captions that Jean has, Jean's inner monologue, is um, is drawn out like the uh, like the Phoenix captions. So it's it's sort of a weird way of saying like Jean is is still in there, but the Phoenix is sort of you know taking the wheel of you know steering the body, for lack of a better term. So yeah, so Jean has her, yes, but I am not Jean. And Jean says, this is not happening. Like, holy crap, like, I, why is this happening? And why do I not have control? And, and like, um, Justin and, and Chad mentioned before, Jean kept saying in the earlier issue, this idea of like, I feel like there's something watching me. There's something sort of like creeping around me. There's an aura, there's a presence that I can't explain, but also that it is, you know, sticking around. So Jean just goes apeshit on everybody. And of course, like she smacks Scott around because, you know, he's a little bitch sometimes. Um, <laughs> and she says, you know, I'm something much, much more. And, and this is the, the full manifestation of, you know, Jean's inhibitions are all gone. And now she can be the hysterical woman. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, she smacks, she smacks away Scott and then she smacks away Mr. Fantastic, who tries to, he literally tries to make like a lattice work web over her. She is made of fire, dude. Like, what are you thinking? Oh, I thought she was doing that to him. I thought she was like, I'm going to weave you into a basket. I thought she was, I thought she was kind of pulling a Scarlet Witch from multiverse, like not quite spaghetti. Oh, like but... trying to like unravel him. Yeah. I thought he was trying to like weave. I thought he was doing it on purpose to try and weave a um, a a web, sort of to try and 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 encompass her. I think you're correct because in the next page she blasts him apart. So he never he doesn't say anything, but you get the you get the idea that he's trying to contain her somehow, which is a terrible strategy. It's it's terrible. But this is the interesting thing: is that the phoenix says, "Incredible, the untapped power in this body is almost limitless." And that makes me wonder, like, if you didn't already know that she had this limitless power or this near limitless power, then why did you choose her? Were you choosing her on a lark or were you choosing her specifically? So it kind of like makes you think, like, did the Phoenix just happen to luck out by picking Jean? Or did the Phoenix have a concerted like knowledge that this is the person who whose body can contain me and whose body and, and powers I can use. I think so she likes uh, interesting thing. I think she likes redheads. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and, you know, and so we've got something that would be great of great interest to you, Reed Richard. So, so obviously the Phoenix has some of Jean's knowledge and can tap into Jean's memories because she knows who Reed is. She knows who Scott is. And she knows why why they're on this because uh, this is all happening on the Fantastic Four. Well, it's their modified Skrull spaceship, and you've still got now. This is the other thing is that Beast originally this is kind of a continuity error. Beast was out in space, but we see Beast in like two panels. Well, what in, we're gonna in, like, what we're gonna learn in a moment. This whole battle is taking place in Jean's mind. Yes. It is. I wasn't going to spoil that. But oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It was all just a dream. It was all just a dream. Who shot JR after a year? He's in the shower. Um, 
So we have Scott sort of question after he got bitch slapped. We have Scott sort of questioning like what is going on, what's happening to her, and he says it's as if all her natural inhibitions have been stripped away, like her clothes. Uh, and he questions. He says, "Is it something that the Xenox have done to her? Because he has no, he can't fathom that the real gene is somehow part of this." Um, and then it's like, "Well, screw it. I, it doesn't even matter. She's, you know, I need to to save her." And Phoenix says, "You know, you held back the full force of your optic blast. The the love you harbor for this woman makes you hesitate." So Scott's obviously pulling back because he doesn't want to hurt the physical body that is Jean. And then, of course, you know, Phoenix wax poetic about um, how weak humans are, yet she embodied a human, but whatever. And then she literally incinerates Scott. Like, Terminator 2, across the, you know, across the Across playground. the playground. Exactly. Um, and then Beast, what does Beast think he's going to do? He literally just like jumps on her and she just incinerates him. She's like, she doesn't even shrug. She's just like, boom, you're dead. Like, what? And one of the interesting things that she says, and kind of funny, she's like, faced with such unimaginable power, is that all you can think to ask? Because everybody's like, what's wrong with you, Gene? What's wrong, Gene? What's going on? So then Crystal's like, well, you know. And uh, this is Crystal's kind of like snotty here because she's like, I can wield all types of energy and there's nothing that you can do that can hurt me, <laughs> whatever. And it's interesting <laughs> that it's all blue. So it almost it's almost as if she's like sort of casting like water slash ice on her. Um, and then, you know, and I will ask no questions. Okay, whatever, Royal. And then all of a sudden it's like, I can handle anything you could throw at me. Oh, but you threw too much energy at me. Ah! And then Crystal gets, you know, thrown away. And then literally right when we think that Phoenix is going to incinerate Crystal, Jean is sort of woken up from this reverie by Scott, like literally grabbing her and shaking her by the shoulders. Like, what's wrong with you? We're literally in the middle of the battle and you've just frozen. Um, and I have to say this, this last panel, um, this is a very Kirby Mr. Fantastic because the eyes are very far apart. Um, and that was that's just like very Kirby-esque. Um, and all of this, you know, tumultuous battle that was going on is literally all in Jean's head and everybody's just sort of like standing around like, what the hell happened to you? Um, so she sort of has to like try and, and, and I guess gain composure. But Crystal makes a good point. Like is a telepath vulnerable to what the Xenox might be capable of. So it's almost like wondering, like, was she the right person to, to bring with us? And, um, and Jean's just like, no, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like a dream. And uh, Scott's like, all right, well, I know you're kind of having a moment here, but we're literally getting our asses handed to us. So <laughs> we kind of need you to help out. Um, and so they're all sort of banding together. You know, Crystal and I have been using our energy powers for surgical strikes and Hank and the thing and the torture right in the middle of it. And I, I still don't know how Beast thinks he could like punch or, or think and thinks he could like, oh, I'm just going to punch a spaceship. It's just weird. <laughs> um, but, you know, Gene is now seen as a liability, which I think is kind of interesting because it sort of pokes 
puts her back into the like damsel in distress, you know, the, the super powerful, but at the same time, you know, um, uh, what's the word, uh, sort of a, a slave to her own, uh, to her own emotions kind of thing. And then we've got, you know, all in one searing instant memories flash across Jean Grey's mind a scant nine days ago when Charles Xavier, the X-Men's leader, told the youthful teammates of a terrible threat to their world. And we go back and we sort of relive part of issue eight where Xavier is explaining the whole thing with the Xenox and how he created this, you know, four person circuitry of uh, mutants to project uh, the compassion of humanity into the Xenox to push them away. Um, and I got a little confused because then it says, but just a few hours ago. So it's like, we go nine days ago, but then a few hours ago, and it was like, a, and we jump back to the Fantastic Four and Chuck in the mansion again. And it was like these strange, like little time jumps just to rehash what happened the last issue. I was like, why we literally just wet read it but i guess when it's happening on a monthly basis you might sure, sure um and then yes and then we've got charles reiterating the idea of you know this didn't change you know yes i beamed the compassion into the xenox's you know consciousness but it didn't change them so there's still going to be this sort of warring faction um and that's why you know the ff teamed up with the x-men and Am I am I continuing to go? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. do you want to? If you covered the the Candy Southern page, and then we'll have you stop there. Or if oh, you okay. prepared for that part. Oh no, I was prepared. This for is that. A I, I, call, I read like everything. Wait, what? I was this doing the social call. This isn't a social call, Professor. <laughs> is that how Connor says it? I haven't. I haven't. No, read that. that's that's a oh. horrible impersonation of it. It's he he, uh, he does like a. This isn't a social call, Professor. Like it's a very. No, I it's just, this like mid-Atlantic kind of. It's very dated. It's, Maryland. It's, it's an um, Maryland voice. Um, so okay, so Gene, uh, Hank gets you know sucked back in with his giant tether. Uh, that sounded really weird. I did not mean it to be like that. <laughs> um, but Hank gets gets brought back into the ship, and um, he basically says, "Look, we're getting our asses handed out here. Like, we need to do something more than just like th literally throw people at these ships." And so Reed's like, "Oh well, you know, I'm sure I can science my way out of this." Um, and so you know, Reed start takes control of the ship, and he starts like screwing around and oh let's do this let's go go straight to the planet and go straight to the core and that's how we're going to get something done um the problem is is that ben is still outside of the ship so as ben has a tether to the ship reed is like flying this thing like crazy and just zooming along and ben's just like what the actual fuck is going on <laughs> um and they zoom toward the surface of of the uh of the planet and it seems funny that the only person who's really worried about Ben seems to be Johnny. And Johnny's like, oh my God, has Reed lost control of his ship? If they hit the atmosphere at that speed? Yes, Ben is going to cook. He's going to be crispy. Um, and then we cut back to Professor Xavier in um, the mansion. And this is when the uh, the Sentinel or the Guardian or what what what's the name of the uh, he's got a little robot friend that's yeah that's his little robot friend I, but I but I know I use the word Sentinel but then that has other connotations so <laughs> oh the Sentinel tree 
the century thank you thank you the century duh um so the century is there and he's like you know forgive me professor xavier i know you're doing your important shit but uh we have this lady here and he's but this female was most insistent red flag and yet she persisted um blast you've made me lose mental control with the x-men at a most critical moment i have a question if he has mental control, uh, mental contact with the X Men at a critical moment, then why didn't he come into Jean's head when she was having her crazy ass daydream about uh, Phoenix and say, "Jean, it's all a dream. Relax." He's not having his best day. Oh, we can blame the Gamma. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying. No, yeah, you guys didn't. Just, you that's guys... just what he says to Candy, but I fully don't believe that. Like that's like he might have been masturbating. He's playing solitaire, watching porn. <laughs> why something. do you think? Why do you think he has the blanket? Um, <laughs> it's not because his legs are cold. Um, I just love the Candy Southern. Why no, there's a scene. Here? There's a scene in an issue. You guys didn't read this one. Candy goes into the mansion, and she's like, "You can, you can erase my mind if you want. I understand." And then you have to tell Angel that you erased my mind, and then you'd have to erase his mind. And if it's worth it to you, great. If not, fuck you, because I'm here. And now he's like granted her access to the mansion. There's a reason we love Candy Southern. She like she's she's incredible. But uh, <laughs> keep going, Erica. Um. So why are you here when I agreed to allow you free access? To the mansion i did not intend this isn't a social call professor uh i need to talk to warren um because didn't you say that this is when she says your dad's dead your mom's marrying your uncle and you're That's literally the... living a, a shakespeare play yeah we're gonna get that soon yeah she goes have you read hamlet before <laughs> the angel has yet has not yet returned from the x-men's last mission which i want to say was issue six is that the last time we saw angel uh, we saw him last issue tied up in the fishing boat. Oh, that's right. Yes. Is this a matter of something for, is this matter something you would consider an emergency? Depends on your definition. Tell me, Prof. When was the last time you read Hamlet? <laughs> he is here to spill the tea. And we'll get into the Worthington drama in a few episodes. Uh, Arturo, will you take us through the last half? And Erica, that was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just I just want to say, as long as the tuition checks are clearing, Charles isn't really too bothered with where Warren is. Like, he's not that concerned. His his power set, he's like, I mean, he's got wings, but he's got a <laughs> checkbook. So um, the story pretty much unravels at this point. Uh, we see that Although he's a wonderful scientist, Reed Richards is a horrible leader and not a good communicator. Um, they get to the planet and <laughs> there's a big monster who, and they're not clear on if this is the monster they've already defeated. And then if so, how did it get here? Uh, is this a different monster? Don't worry about it too much. We're not going to spend too much time with this. It's just the big bad that they're going to fight. Um, and then Reed, using his visually disturbing body horror superpowers, um, takes Thing and Beast and takes them out of the mission. He's like, don't worry about it. Just come on. Don't, don't question me. Let's go. Which, again, not great. I mean, you know, if you're the X-Men, you're like, where, where's the guy that drove us here? Like, dude, you're a ride. At least let me know where you're going, you know? Um, 
we go back to the monster, you know, our powers combined. Uh, I, I'm sure Crystal mentions that she's royal again. She's such a fucking obnoxious person. <laughs> I love that even I love that Come she's on. so obnoxious that even in Jean's dream, she had to be like, well, because I'm royal. Like, girl, shut up. <laughs> Can't stand her. Um, then we take, okay, I'm so glad I got this part. Thank you, Chad, because then we take a very important break from space action and take a little dip to Carl Lycos's Savage Land bungalow where a young Bobby Drake is just woken up wearing nothing but his tidy whities and go-go boots and has no memory of anything. And I mean, it's just visually, you know, arresting. I think maybe Iceman's best outfit, honestly. Like, keep it simple. There's no need for him to have a bunch of other stuff. Um, let the twink be a twink. I do just want to say something. I enjoy that you'll get... Because like after I read this, I was like, oh, wait, we, we never go back to that? You know, and I'm sure eventually it'll come back in two issues or whatever. And I love that for the people that are following along all these issues but for the casual reader it's kind of like what um especially one carl Leichel seems to have uh like nazi memorabilia paperweight on his he's, desk he's hanging out in a base that he found that had been built by nazis exploring the savage land and in the previous issue in in our last review bobby wakes up there's ropes because carl had to strap him down to a table to carry him back and he wakes up to. and there's there's literally Nazi skeletons in the room still. Like Lycos hasn't even cleared them out. There's like there's like dead 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 researchers in the room. So yeah, you, you, there's an occasional swastika in this cabin. Which... I want to know where he gets the empanadas. <laughs> <laughs> Those do look good. That's probably like brontosaurus meat. Well, I mean the swastika thing on the desk, like without you know that context it was very kind of like wait what what's this i was happening? wondering too i was like since when is carl like, like goes into that i'm like oh god now we gotta no fuck someone else you like is horrible bad news um yeah that that was just weird i was like was that subliminal did i really see that um anyways we'll we won't get back to that in this issue but it was a great little flash into something different that to me very much read like you hooked up with somebody last night you woke up you're not sure where you are all you've got are your shoes and maybe your underwear figure it out girl he's at least making you breakfast i don't know you I mean, eat the empanada till you notice the swastika and then you <laughs> run out of there <laughs> fair enough um, then we get back to, unfortunately, we go back to space where, you know, I'll save you guys the details, but suffice to say, they use Reed's disgusting, stretchy, long abdomen as like a rope and they go spelunking down a, a tube to do something, touch some kind of computer, whatever down there. Reed's um, like a hundred <laughs> feet long and flaccid. Right. And then, and then. Beast using his his astounding intellect and scientific brain comes up with if we use you like a giant bungee cord, like a giant rubber band, we can propel ourselves to safety and uh, science wins the day and we're relieved to see um, 
Beast's big sexy feet thing and Mr. Fantastic all survive. Um, they rush back to the ship, which uh, which has been prepared, thankfully, because as they were ordered, which I thought was again, just funny language, um, they escape and then Reed just has enough time to explain that because in, just in case you're worried of like, well, where are the Xenox going now? Did did our heroes just commit like global genocide? genocide? Yeah, like legit. It's like, no, no, don't worry. We've shunted them, you know, to the Let's send them zone. to plague another universe. Goodbye. The Xenox, right. the Xenox planet returned to its home planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were where they will have to just you know consume their own resources, and it's like and well, we see the we see the Xenox in like maximum security in the event. There's a couple places they show up in a few places. They're they're not characters that are widely used really ever again. The Badoon can do it way better. <laughs> I kind of want to pitch a Xenox, a Xenox story now. There, yeah, there there's some fun stuff about these guys. What would uh, Hollow's Eve do with a Xenox? <laughs> <laughs> ride him around like a puppy and then give us the last two pages arturo um and then the last two pages we are uh we have just enough time to see a young child named i don't know ashley martin ashley martin is in the yard playing with her with her toys and she wants them to dance and um we turn the page and we get a big terrifying sentinel is here a la a la looking for Jubilee at the mall. Here comes the Sentinel. She's just a few miles away from Dunphy, Illinois, which is Beast's hometown, which is fictional. So that's kind of fun. We will learn shortly. Ashley Martin is a mutant who has the power to animate objects. So she plays with her toys and like can make them come to life. And now she's done that with a Sentinel. So you remember the Sentinel we saw at the beginning of last episode that got left behind? This is where it comes into play. So we'll see more of this character in the next issue. So uh, if I'm summing up these two issues very quickly, the FF come to the X-Men and they're like, what about the Xenox? And they go into space and throw them into another universe. And Jean briefly meets the Phoenix and all of the other characters get like one page of like, remember where they are, but we're not going to advance the story yet. And that's uh, that's really all you need from these two issues. They're fun. It's a good ride and it's paced relatively well for a monthly book that throws in a lot of plot lines uh do you guys have any thoughts was this a pleasant experience for you reading the hidden years uh these two issues as we are wrapping up our conversation i can I, tell you oh. i had that mullet in you know 1986 <laughs> <laughs> i can say that it was a pleasant experience talking about this <laughs> more so than reading it but um i did enjoy uh, I did enjoy Jean Grey, you know, having that moment in space where she said, is something burning? Is is my pussy on fire? Yes. <laughs> because that Why does was... it smell like fried fish? <laughs> She's going to walk that Phoenix force. <laughs> all the hits, all the hits. Um, that was fun. And yeah, you know, it was it was cute. It was cute. Uh, uh, Erica, do you have any final thoughts on this? Um, I, like I said, I think the hidden years is, is, is interesting as a way to sort of fill any plot holes that people have found from like 30 years earlier. Um, so I think it's kind of, it's kind of funny to, to see what they assessed was an issue that sort of had to, you know, had to get resolved. And Justin. 
the ending was definitely very quick, but I mean, they wrapped the plot up in a nice little bow at the end, so that was nice. Um, and I have a bunch of stuff written down here. <laughs> yeah, it was just a really quick but satisfying conclusion overall. Um, I know we talked about how it kind of jumps to the different plot points and how it can be engaging if you're following along, but if not, I can see why it would throw you off. Um, I did notice in 9 that um, Reed was called out again for um, basically the X-Men having to make do even though they're all human and they're all one and another one of those like, you know, the way the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, their history with mutant kind, how they're not really there. I guess the subtext, you know? Maybe I'm over overreading. No, it. no, you're no, not. It's it's definitely there. Read yeah, is the there. ally who doesn't see color, right? Like who yeah. doesn't yeah. think about your sexuality. Like you know. the X Men are never a priority to the Avengers or the FF, which is something we've talked about on the show a few times because they've. Well, remember up. in Uncanny, it was the Unity Squad they had in Uncanny Avengers. So. Mm-hmm. And that's relaunching. We get a we get a new Uncanny Avengers this fall, which I'm excited about. Uh, this has been a genuine delight to explore this with you. Uh, in the next issue, for those that are following along, we'll, we'll we'll plug it in a minute, but we get the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants coming back, which is fun. We get uh, Magneto and Amphibious and the Sentinels. And uh, just in case you were wondering and worried, we do get more Avia, who's everybody's favorite character from the Hidden Years. <laughs> she gets uh, she gets pinned to a wall with some spikes in her wings. It's uh, it's rather brutal and terrible. Uh, <laughs> Arturo and Justin and Erica, this was a, a genuine delight hanging out with you all. Thank you. Even as we went a little long, I appreciate you all hanging out with me this afternoon. Thank you for the gift of your time and talents. As we're wrapping up, we're going to put this out on uh, June 12th. Uh, where can people find you online and what would you like to plug? Uh, let's go in the reverse order. We'll go uh, Arturo, uh, Justin, and then Erica. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And I have nothing to plug other than go follow me. Let's talk comics. Let's be nerds. Dustin. So I can be found on Instagram and Twitter. Granted, I don't really use Twitter all that much. So I guess mostly Instagram at J underscore Cosmic, J Cosmic. Um, and that's Cosmic with a K, everybody. Yes. Uh, nothing to really plug. Just have some more cosplay content coming up. Um, just cosplay with a K. <laughs> I mean, I thought about making a separate page for that, but yeah, never really committed to it. Never really committed with a K to it. <laughs> but um, yeah, we got another con coming up this weekend, so there will be some new stuff there. Other than that, um, yeah, nothing much really to plug. And uh, Justin and I are real life friends. We've hung out, but we get to hang out a couple times this year. I'm looking forward to seeing you later this summer, my friend. Uh, yes, then, September. Yeah, I'm really excited for FanX in Salt Lake City. And then, uh, and then, lastly, uh, Erica. Um, so you can find me uh, everywhere on all the social medias at Erica Schultz 42, uh, except Instagram. I'm Erica Schultz Writes W R I T E S. Uh, my website is EricaSchultzWrites.com, and um, I will have X23 number four and Hollow's Eve number four coming out in June. Uh, they've already announced ASM annual will be out in August. Um, and then what if Moon Knight? What if Moon Knight? I don't know when that's coming out. Is that coming it's out? It's August, August as well. Yep. They also August as well. Okay. And then some 
other stuff that I'm talking to editors about tomorrow, but I can't talk about just yet. I am thrilled every time I hear that because that means there's more things coming up and I'm a huge fan. Uh, this was a great time. Uh, lastly, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me. Uh, but for listeners, you can follow me on uh, Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. I'm posting regular content. There's a lot of great things coming out. Uh, the next Patreon episode coming out right after this is going to feature the character Lucinda Guthrie, the mother of the Guthrie clan uh, with my friend Dayspring. It's likely to be very emotional because she's the ultimate people flag mom and i love her uh the next main episode of the show coming out right after this is uh going to be uh, a, a throwback to dr strange number 182 which is a weird story about juggernaut versus nightmare that you've probably never read uh and we're gonna have uh, uh two uh featured guests this episode the uh the classic uh writer uh, peter sanderson and uh famous uh colorist chris sotomayor so uh thank you everybody for tuning in we will see you back here next time on gray malkin lake Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.